So hey, I'm Mark, uh, Pastor Mark, and it's just awesome to be here with you guys today as we continue in this journey of the road. And as Pastor Dan went through uh, where we've been, and then today we're at, am I willing to go? And I was obviously thinking a lot about this, just this idea of going. And, and if you've been around Christian circles or in churches for any length of time, this is a big deal, right? Going. You know, we know the great uh, commission where Jesus says that I've been given all authority on heaven and earth, so go and make disciples of all nations. And, and this is kind of this idea that we as followers of Christ, that we are a going and serving people. It's part of of our identity that makes us up to be Christians. But the sad kind of reality is that a lot of us don't go. We don't go to our friends. We don't intentionally go to people uh, to be an ambassador of Christ. We don't go to the cubicle next to us. We don't go across the street It's just not part of our mindset. We're so busy doing things and and living life that that this whole main thrust of who we are to go falls to the wayside. I was really just trying to wrestle with this and I actually flipped this question, and am I willing to go, and ask the question, why don't we go? Like, what are the reasons that, that hold us up from, from going and being intentionally? And not, not just, you know, in the overseas kind of sense or the big, the big go, right? Like, you know, it's like everybody who becomes a Christian says, God, I'll become a Christian, but don't send me to Africa, right? You know, like everybody who becomes a Christian has to go to Africa. It's like when I became a Christian, I thought everybody who uh, becomes a Christian has to play the acoustic guitar, because that's all I knew about Christians, that they played acoustic guitar. And, uh, but clearly, you know, not everybody plays acoustic guitar. Not everybody has to go to Africa. That's not, that's not the calling, that, that God calls people specifically to different places. So why don't we go? Why don't we live our lives intentionally as ambassadors of Jesus Christ? And Fear, yeah, that could be one. I, I actually, where I landed on this, and I think that this is the, the real just hard truth, is I don't think a lot of us believe that it matters. That we don't believe that we are essential in the story of God, that we have any bearing on, on who comes to Christ and who doesn't come to Christ or, or if the gospel or, or goodness is known in the world. We, we find ourselves or we at least live our lives as inconsequential. We make our decisions like it doesn't matter. And I believe that's a tragedy. I believe that it breaks God's heart because each and every one of us our masterpiece is created anew in Christ Jesus to do the things that God has called us to do long ago. And when we do not fulfill our calling, we are holding back the beauty and the majesty that God wants us to experience and to be to others the very reason that we are here on earth. 
I don't watch basketball, uh, but I have a friend who watches basketball, and, and if you guys know, there's, it's March Madness. Ah, March Madness, right? Anybody watching March Madness? All right, you guys are going to love this part. So I was at a friend's house, and it was the Gator-Wisconsin game. What, what, the Ga- Florida Gators, what's the Wisconsin, the cheeses? The Badgers. So it's the Gators versus the Badgers, an epic basketball duel, right? And I, I came in, and I, it was kind of the, the later part of, of the end of the game, and the Gators are, are winning by over 10 points. I don't know. Like, I don't know exactly what was happening, but there's a point to this. So, and... <laughs> And I'm like, you know, sitting there, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, the Gators are going to win. And then the Badgers started badgering the, 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 the Gators and came back. And I think it was like they did, had like 14 unanswered points or 14 to one or something like that. And they actually tied up the game and then it went into overtime. And so there's this big deal and everything, and we're sitting there, and I'm like, oh, great, we're going to be sitting here watching basketball a little bit longer, but whatever, I'm at a friend's house, and it's, and it's all good and everything. So the next part comes in, and again, I don't know a lot about basketball, but the next part of, in the overtime, it looked like the Gators had given up, like they just didn't want to win. They were just dribbling the ball slow and passing it to the, the Badgers, you know, they just weren't being very Gatorific. And uh, so, you know, and I was with a Gator, and I was just like, I, I honestly, I said there, I'm like, they, in my mind, I'm like, they've given up. The momentum is completely shifted, and, and they don't care, and they're just going to lose this game. Well, a couple, and I don't know their names, so a couple of the Gator players they, they kind of like shift the focus. You could tell that they weren't willing to lose, that they believed that they could still win. And it came down to uh, there was four seconds left in the game, and the Gators were down by two points. And it was the Gators' ball, and I'm going to totally butcher how to say this, but the Gators' ball in their own, not end zone, but wherever they, they are, Right? court, but on the other guys, on the Badger side, and their goal is on the, on the other side, and they have four seconds, it's, and they're down by two points, and I'm like, eh, you know. So they, they, they take them, they look, and then they, they throw the ball, and, I, and I'm not sure if it went to somebody else, but eventually it got to a guy named Chioza, is that right? Chioza? So Chioza gets the ball with four seconds left, two points down in overtime, and he dribbles the ball super fast, and he goes up or down the court, whichever direction he was meant to go. He went the right direction, and he gets to the the three-point line, and he hits it, and he flies up in the air, and he just puts up this shot, and at the buzzer, boom! Gators win, and it was amazing. They, they panned over to the, the sad badgers. 
You didn't even know badgers could cry, right? Crying badgers, very sad, happy gators, and, and everything. And it's, and it's really amazing. I, I keep on wanting to call him Chorizo, but his name's not Chorizo. It's uh, <laughs> Chorizo. It's like pizza and chorizo. Delicious, right? Um, he actually, there's like so much that happened in that four seconds. Like, number one, I don't know. I didn't see an interview with him, but I bet he wanted the ball. Why do you think he wanted the ball? Because he believed he could make the basket. You know what else? If it was me, probably, because I don't think I could have put the, the orange round thing in the, the other thing, I probably would have like got it and like passed it to somebody else. But he didn't do that. He took it and he went. And how many points needed to tie up the game? Two. But did he go for two? Did he, he had a, like a pretty clear path to, to, the, to the basket and he, and he didn't take it. He, he went for the win, a three-point shot. And he, and he didn't even care what it looked like. I mean, he just like he came up, hit it, one up, and boom. And in front of the world, he took the shot for the win. Win or lose, he wanted the ball and he wanted to take the shot. Why? Because he believed he could make it. He believed that he was on that court for a purpose and he believed that he needed the ball because he was the right guy at the right time to win that game. That's where we need to get as Christians. Like, it's not Christian to just say, oh, pass the ball. Or I don't want the ball. Give it to that guy. We as Christians, if we truly believe that we were knit together in our mother's womb, that we are masterpieces created anew from Christ Jesus to do the things that he's planned for us a long time ago, we should be saying, give me the ball, Jesus. I want the ball. I want to, you know what? And I don't even care if I make a fool of myself. I'm going to go for the win. I'm not going to go for no tie. I'm not going for the tie. I'm going for the win. FTW, Jesus, for the win. Right? We are going for the win. And I think that that's essential on the go. Because you don't go to your friends, you don't go to your family, you don't go to your neighbors, you don't go across the street, you don't go to feed somebody, you don't go and give your best ideas or, or risk anything if you don't believe that it matters and you don't believe that the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead indwells in you. That's why we don't go, because we don't want the ball. And I think that this is really what it all comes down today. And if I could just help move us, or just move one or two of us, because it was only one or two players on the Gators that changed the whole outcome of that game, the whole trajectory of that game. Believe that, you know what, you matter. And make you want that ball and make you want to take the shot.
You know, so often I think, you know, another reason that, that we don't, because we don't think that we're prepared. You know, there's a, there's a song, old Christian hymn, it's uh, Come As You Are. You guys know that? Come as you are. And we think the coming as you are is the destination. Oh, I came as I am. <sighs> Whew. All right, now what? It's come as you are and go as you come in humility and complete reliance on Jesus Christ. That's what changes the world. That's what changes things. That is what changes a two-point loss into a one-point win. If we all waited to be the tangible hand of of Christ until we were Christ-like in perfection, the enemy will win every time. If chorizo pizza guy, (laughs) chorizo, said, you know what, I'm not going to take that shot until I can make that shot every single time, 100%. You know what, I don't know what his shooting percentage is, but I'm pretty sure it's not 100%, but it didn't stop him. And that's where we need to get to. Say, you know what? Even if I fail, I will fail by serving my God. So if you open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 9, we get to kind of get a glimpse of Jesus sending some of the first disciples out and some things that we can learn from that. So, verse 1, one day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave the town. And if a town refuses to welcome you, shake the dust from your feet and leave to show that you have abandoned those people to their fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick, and then jumped down to verse 10. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Now, there is a ton of cultural stuff going on here. And if I was Pastor Eric Case, I would tell you all about it. (laughs) I'm just going to jump right into the practical. He'll come back next week. You can ask him what's all that mean? And he'll like, you know, and give you some scholarly response. What I want to focus on, because I only have a limited amount of time, is just the, the components that we see here in this sin, that, 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 that the disciples went, and there were some certain things that, that they believed. They believed and wanted that ball, and they wanted to take that shot. The first one was that they believed that they were empowered and had the authority. 
that we've seen this in a, in a couple of times where Jesus says, look, I have the power and authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick, and I'm giving it to you. Again, Matthew 28, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Now go and make disciples of all the nations. That was not just for those disciples, that is for us, the 21st century disciples of Jesus Christ. We have the authority. And that's the first thing in going is we have to believe that we have the authority because if we don't have the authority, then we shouldn't ask for the ball. But if you are a follower of Jesus, if you uh, have been redeemed and asked for forgiveness, that you have the authority. It has been given to you and the responsibility. The next thing he does is give instructions. Now, these again are very cultural and, and very specific instructions for a group of people uh, in a time, you know, don't bring a walking stick, no money, no food, no change of clothes, no change of socks, you know, all that kind of, kind of thing. Now, there's some certain, there, I believe that there's reasons behind this instruction, but I think the important thing is that instruction was given. Hey, this is how you're to go out. Number one, that in this was uh, the Jewish uh, culture at the time believed that the Messiah was going to bring power in the, in the earthly sense and, and wealth to the Jewish people. So, you know what, to, to just kind of like nip that right in the bud, right immediately, you know, the people proclaiming the good news of the coming Messiah have no stick, no bag, no food, no money, and they don't even have a change of clothes or a place to stay. So the whole health and wealth, you know, follow Jesus and you're going to drive a Cadillac thing right out the window because the guys telling you about that don't have anything. The other thing is that it, it forces them to rely on God and people. You know, they could have had, they had resources. They, they could have paid their own way. But there's something that happens when you, you put yourself in, in trust in God to provide, put yourself in situations for God to provide, and for others to be the channel or the conduit of God's love and mercy. This is something that I really didn't understand when I was in the marketplace in, in California, and, and I used to be a sender. I used to write the checks so people could go. I used to fund those, those type of things. And, and I really didn't understand like the learning that, that to be in need that, God, you've given me a, a larger vision than I can fund, and, and you are going to have to uh, uh, find conduits of your love and mercy and resources in order for this to happen. And it's an amazing transition, and, and it's amazingly uh, humbling. But also you realize that God is faithful. It's one thing to sing songs about it. It's another thing to hear verses about it. It's even another thing to hear testimonies about it. But until you are totally reliant on God to show up, you don't know it by experience, the Hebrew word yada, and to know by 
experience. And then to prepare the disciples to have empathy and compassion for those in need. You know, later on when the church was formed, and I don't know if you remember this, but they, were, they had the food programs. They're feeding the poor and doing all of these kinds of things. I bet you they were very thankful for those people who showed compassion on them and helped them out in their time of need and probably informed them during that time to, to want to help other people. One of the biggest things for me is when I, God entrusted me with depression, it broke me. And I didn't see any good in it until on the other side of it where I saw that, you know what, at that, before I was entrusted with depression, that I didn't have any time for people that I viewed as weak. And... To, to be in need of other people, to speak words of life into me and, and to, to help me, gave me the empathy that I didn't previously have. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we think, you know, we got to be perfect in order to be ambassador of Christ. And we think our past experiences or our past mistakes or our past hardships or our past failures exclude us from ministry. But let me tell you, your past hardships, your past failures, your past disappointments do not exclude you from ministry. They prepare you for ministry. You want to get put on the shelf and, and collect spiritual dust? Live a charmed life where you never have any adversity. The people that I personally respect the most in this life and respect the most of their walk and have the greatest Christian character are people who have experienced untold adversity. I don't want it. You don't want it. I want to be shallow. <laughs> no, I don't. I want God to be able to use me. And even though when the winds of adversity are, is blowing through my life and when the winds of adversity are blowing through your life, it's not fun. It's not fun for anybody. But that is when our soul and our spirit is being forged. When we don't know how it's all going to work out, it is at that time that our spirit is solidified, and when God shows up, that cannot be replaced by testimonies from somebody else or books or videos or songs. All of those things are great, but they're not replacement for the experiencing it yourself, the yada. So often, you know, I, I, you think, you know, why... Why do we follow Christ? Have you ever thought about this? I'm sure you have. Like, outside of salvation and going to heaven, like we're here on this earth, why do we follow Jesus? I'll tell you why I follow Jesus. Because God is supernatural. And you know what? I know what I can do. And what I can do is boring. 
Is there anything exciting about making a plan that I can achieve and then, and then fulfilling that plan? No, that's boring. You know what's really cool is following a wild-eyed savior where you don't know where he's going and you put yourself in a position where you're like, Jesus, unless you show up, this is going to be an absolute train wreck. Where you're like, you know what? It's the difference of having the ball with nobody else on the court and just doing layups or having a bunch of badgers around you and Jesus got the ball in his end zone and you're like, Jesus, give me the ball because you know what? I want that ball because I want to get myself in a position to take the shot. And I'm going to throw that ball up. But you know what? I do not have the skill or the insight or anything to make it go into the basket. And you are going to have to guide it. And you know what? I would rather live a life where the ball goes over the backboard and hits some poor old person not paying attention in the head (laughs) than do layups by myself. That's where good church people would say amen. Thank you, Wendy. And then in verse 5, he prepares them to handle failure. Talks about shaking the sand or the dirt off your feet. And the, and the reality is, you know, you, you've heard the, uh, the saying, you know, failure is not an option. If you are involved in something that failure is not an option, You are living a boring, predictable, ungodly life. Failure is always an option unless God shows up. Yes, sleepless nights, anxiety, fear, but also you get to experience the supernatural power of God you get to experience miracles. If you want, if failure's not an option, you stay in Egypt, you don't see the Red Sea part. If failure is not an option, you don't get on the, out of the boat and walk to Jesus. We, as followers of Christ, need to live lives that failure is probable and is going to happen unless Jesus Christ shows up and supernaturally intervenes. Then we know that we are living triumphant, abundant lives in Jesus. So let me close with just these last two things. Is One, in verse 6, they executed They actually went out and did it in verse six. They're like, okay, Jesus got it. Don't bring anything, you know, go out and heal the sick and and all these kinds of things, got it. Then they actually did it. So often that in our organizations and our businesses and the church, in our churches, we spend all our time talking about it. And we don't, 
spend near enough time doing it and executing. And I can tell you, if you don't take the shot, you are going to not get the points every single time. You are going to lose every single time. And I think it's high time that we change the way we think. And then in verse 10, they came back and they told Jesus about it. They're like, Jesus, this is what happened. This is, you know, these are the stories that, you know, these are the people that we interacted with and and they told each other what happened and things like that. And they came together and they bonded and built even deeper community. Ultimately, that's what we're talking about is community. That in Jesus's world and and in our world, in order for us to live these robust lives of, of power and authority and majesty and miracles, we have to have a strong community around us. And Jesus as our our rabbi, as our teacher, and we as his disciples, his students, he modeled this for us in concentric circles of of, uh, community. At the very center of his community, he had his intimate community, Peter, James, and John. With Peter, James, and John, these are the three men that, that he had conversations with that he didn't have with anybody else. He showed them things that he didn't show anyone else. That they they laughed together, they cried together, they were intimate together. And then he had his 12, the people that he was close with. Extremely close. He lived lived with them for 3 years doing ministry. Very close, not intimate but close. And then he had the next level of disciples, the 72. And this is what I would call his community. These are people who shared his values, that, that they wanted to be like him. They wanted to grow together. They were all on the same team. And then the next concentric circle is his acquaintances, that Jesus had a public ministry that he taught. People would come and listen to him. They weren't necessarily disciples, but he knew them. They were acquaintances. And then finally, there was just the crowd. Those people that, you know, they're just in the background. He didn't laugh with them. He didn't cry with them. He didn't tell them anything. They were just there. And the reality is that we have this in our lives. And it's good, and it's holy, and it was modeled by Jesus. And the reality is, you need people that you are intimate with. You you need people that you can go and say, you know what, I am a disaster. I need Jesus to show up. This This is not going to work. And they look at you, and they say, yada. You know by experience that God is sovereign, that we will come together we will move forward. I have been so blessed that God has put men and women uh, in my life who have spoken these words of life and who, are, who I'm in, you know, in community with. You know, we need those people who we are close with, who are on our team. They're happy when we get a promotion, that we're happy when we get a victory, who actually, you know, when we have a tragedy, that they're going to show up. 
You know, we also need a community, a larger community outside of our, our just our, you know, our circle. And then those people that we're connecting with, our acquaintances that who knows, maybe someday they'll, they'll come in and be intimate. And then there's just the reality, there's people that we'll never know, that we'll never talk to. And that's okay. That's how Christ did life. That's how Christ did community. And that's how we can do community. So I just want to close with this. And I wrote this down. I wanted to read it. The world needs more stories about people creating community in the midst of pain, suffering, anxiety, isolation, and fear. Let me read that again. The world needs more stories about people creating community in the midst of pain, suffering, anxiety, isolation, and fear. That is our job. We are part of the greatest story that was ever told. We are ambassadors of the gospel to tell the good news, to tell the lost that they are found, to tell the isolated that there is community for them, to tell the hungry that they can find food, to, find, to tell the weary that they can come and have rest, that we are the people of hope, but we have to want the ball. We have to believe that us having the ball makes a difference, that it changes things. It is true that you matter and what you do matters. Not only to yourself, not only to our community, but to the world. 